Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready, so let us begin. I find that answer vague and unconvincing. This week, the story is about where the story remains incomplete, or so we think. The puzzles yet unsolved. So as with any epic as vast and complex as Star Wars, there's a somewhat unruly web of interlocking narratives and character arcs. So this week, we're going to go over some of the as yet unanswered questions in Star Wars, or rather, the questions many of us still have, and perhaps as laymen or casual fans, we don't have the tools to quite flesh out on our own. Uh, Ross, I've got about 15 questions slash topics prepared, which are to me unanswered questions, but I suspect you're going to have answers for at least some of them, either concrete uh, and canonical or or that you'll be able to deduce as like a really learned fan. Would you say there are a lot of unanswered questions in Star Wars or have they covered their tracks pretty well over the years? They, it's, it's interesting because Legends opened like it answered questions, but opened way more cans of worms. It had so much inconsistency and didn't really work in that regard. And it's the reason why they kind of shut Legends down. Right. Uh, and also for the ability to be able to tell a, a coherent 789 that didn't have to deal with all of this other baggage associated directly with it. But there are a ton of unanswered questions still. Uh, there are a lot of things that have been wrapped up. And I think even since... Uh, even excluding outside, like even if you go outside the Skywalker saga, they've done a really good job of keeping things still very open. And with the Skywalker saga, giving some levels of closure, but providing a lot of mysticism in episode nine, that leaves a lot of unanswered questions and room for theorization. And so I had uh, a lot, I didn't have a ton of notes. Uh, I had some questions, but because you have kind of a, a nice list, we'll use that as a bit of our, of our guiding light. And then if there's uh, anything that I have down as something that's a, a really big unanswered question, then we'll dive deeper into it further because it means that as far as I know, there isn't an answer for it uh, to this point in star Wars. And that's the way Disney plus wants it. Uh, to a certain degree, and to a certain degree, it's just what uh, we'll have to ponder and theorize about. Well, and in brainstorming the questions that I was able to come up with, what I found, unfortunately, is an awful lot of people just ripping on Rise of Skywalker because it happens to be the most recent thing, uh, you know, Mandalorian not included. Um, and there are some loose ends left in Rise of Skywalker. You and I have talked about that yeah. at great length. And that was sort of helpful to me because... I think there probably are the most can of worms remaining as a result of the sequel trilogy. So we're going to focus on that a little bit tonight. Uh, more simply put, the original trilogy is tidier. Um, but we're going to talk about a lot, if not all, of the most important Star Wars characters, I think, in this conversation. Uh, firstly, you might roll your eyes a little bit at this because it's not it's the opposite of in the weeds. Uh, but the first unanswered question I have is how long ago and in a galaxy how far away? Um, it doesn't matter. And <laughs> actually to the point of, uh, I think the big thing is that the, the distance and the time, which space, space and time being relative in the, the sci-fi world, uh, I think you need to view it as it is so far away or so far in the past that even through the miracle of time travel, it is too far away for us to ever reach. Okay. That's the way I like to view it. Do we get... So that there's no crossover. Do we get into the headaches about 
the evolution of earthling English? Or, or do we just presume that that's a translation, a, a cinematic translation for our benefit as an audience? Are they actually speaking the same language as us if we were to have the time travel capacity? I am not a linguistics expert. So the <laughs> origin of the English language uh, would create a bit of a conundrum for me there. But well, well uh, I'm, I'm being I'm being kind of sarcastic, but I know, but there are certain words they use. I think oh, an example we used recently was the word boyfriend, which has been said a few times in Star Wars and most memorably by Finn. Um, this doesn't feel like a very Star Warsy word, and maybe it just doesn't feel like a terribly uh, mid-Atlantic word. Um, but there are certain anachronisms or just like uh, casual terms that feel slightly outside the the tone of Star Wars that every now and then they pop up and it's it can be quite um uh quite uh, humanizing when Han says like a G-rated curse word or something like that other times it can be a little distracting do you do you think mm. about that very much Yeah absolutely I think that's one of the things that the last Jedi struggles with a lot is it has certain bits of dialogue that really kind of ex extend to this just oh that's just it, it it's it it compares to the way that you say certain actors have a face that knows what texting is right meaning that they can never be in a period piece because there's just something so specific about their look that's so universally modern and i think that there are some word choices in the last jedi that are too modern and i think there's some word choices in the prequel trilogy that are too uh stilted and going for uh kind of stoicism stoicism a word yep absolutely so yeah um whereas in the original trilogy they have that beautiful balance whereas certain characters have speak that way but it kind of flows it, it ebbs and flows with just like Obi-Wan's a great example. He does speak in a very Shakespearean way, but at the same time, he's grandfatherly with Luke. And it it's it does kind of it does kind of work quite well. Whereas Han is a cowboy and he speaks like a cowboy pretty start to finish and it's consistent. And so that consistency is another key thing uh, that I think is really important to have. Whereas someone like Poe and Finn, they're they can sometimes struggle to have the same consistency. Uh, whereas Ray is someone who's an extremely consistent character in the uh, sequel trilogy as well. Do you mean verbally she's consistent or just totally? Yeah, that, that is what I mean. Just like the way that they speak and uh, the words that they choose and the, just the, the way that they present their demeanor. Uh, Poe and Finn are, are very inconsistent characters, especially Poe. Um, and I thought just, Ray and Kylo more so are on kind of that balance line and Anakin certainly has some inconsistencies, but it's and same with Padme as well. And Canonically, I, I want to start uh, in an area we have actually discussed at great length. And I, I think I know the answer to this. I don't think this is an unanswerable question, but I think there remains a lot um, to be done with this as potential. So if we're talking about one of the great nexuses of Star Wars, uh, it's, of course, the conception of Anakin Skywalker. So how exactly did Shmi conceive Anakin? Was Palpatine involved? Was it decisive on the part of the Force? What was the significance of Shmi in that choosing? 
I think this is a this is a really great one, and this is one that I think the Rise of Skywalker does put to bed. There was enough up in the air from Revenge of the Sith, and there was enough that could have been confirmed through the Rise of the through the Rise of Skywalker that was actively not, uh, and it is enough for me to put the pieces together that I believe that it is a clear George Lucas intention for Anakin to not have been birthed of Palpatine. I believe that that is something that has made its way through George Lucas's words and has seeped into Star Wars still. And that was one that they did seek his guidance for and that he said, no, I took it out of Revenge of the Sith because I wanted it to be something that Anakin thought, but wasn't actually true. And I didn't want that can of worms open per se. And they have opened that can of worms since then. And it's one of my favorite cans of worms in Star Wars. And if you don't want to make it the case, I think that's totally fine. I didn't think they needed to do it in The Rise of Skywalker. But I think regardless in The Rise of Skywalker, exploring that thought process was a really important one that they could have done. I think that this question is one that could have been maybe a little bit cleaner answered as opposed to being such pieced together. But I think Shmi was chosen purely as someone who is just a pure of heart, good person. And it didn't really matter. The force is within all of us. But Shmi was someone who was capable of raising Anakin to a point where someone who was strong in the force was able to find him, whereas he would be kept in balance as far as he possibly could be in his circumstances. Yeah. Uh, And that the force, and this is what the Darth Plagueis novelization goes with and likely is in retrospect, probably what George Lucas wanted is that the force retaliates on their efforts to create life. And because the force is trying to bring balance to itself, it knows that it is going to fail and that Plagueis and Palpatine are going to beat it. And so ultimately it creates a chosen one, one born of itself that can bring balance to itself. And so it, it's, it's purely in the matter of, of everybody has midi-chlorians, everybody has the living force, it's everywhere. And it's just, it decided to spontaneously create Anakin because the balance was going to be lost forever, if not. So uh, is Star Wars uh, a story of fates predetermined or, or um, are we dealing with something that can actually be manipulated as we go? I mean, there's, there's talk of, of Yoda uh, speculating whether or not they've misinterpreted the, the word is escaping me right now, but like prophecies, prophecies, is this already all laid out as soon as Anakin is born, his fate is sealed. Well, this is what a lot of people really struggled with on the notion of a chosen one and what people really didn't like about the prequels at the time, uh, or one of the things I should say, and something that people struggled with when it was released that George Lucas wanted to go deeper into midi-chlorians and Mm. the notion that there was something that I guess people thought took away their agency, whereas it's not really the case. It is a bit of a, of a scientific thing. It's like you're, I, I don't know what the best way to to describe it is whether it's like your heartbeat rate or, or, or whatever it is. But if you, okay, let's view it like a heartbeat. And if it's something like a heartbeat, everybody has one that yes, if you naturally have a re- really low heartbeat because you're in say p- like phenomenal shape or something, it's going to allow you the ability to be steadier and calmer. 
Whereas potentially some people have naturally low heartbeats and have maybe an affinity to do that. And there's something that you can work on and hone a little bit better. And so it's kind of something that is that interesting balance. Whereas yes, it is a little bit predetermined, but Anakin's the perfect case of uh, he does join the Sith. He, the prophecy, was it misread? Maybe, yes, no. Like we don't, we don't really know what the prophecy's full intention was. It's a matter of, in the end, balance is brought, but it's brought with Luke's aid as well. And Vader is ultimately the one who, who does it, but it's, uh, he, in the same process, he destroys the Jedi, is by destroying the Jedi and the Sith what brings balance uh, to a degree. I don't necessarily agree with that notion because it doesn't mean equal Sith and Jedi. It doesn't mean that at all, but it, it's still a little kind of, up in the air on that one, but and to biologize your your force strength is perhaps a can of worms, but or, or maybe it's like the smartest and most down to earth thing ever because you know was LeBron James born to be the greatest basketball player alive? No, but he was born with a hundred percent of the tools necessary to get there if he mm-hmm. also shot hoops every day and wanted it more than anything, and that's a tall order. To have all of those things, you know, in in play, and so, yes, Anakin is born with you know a greater midichlorian count even than Master Yoda, but also they chose to train him, and all these other like conflicting factors were were involved. Talent without training is nothing, as Luke says, and that is like uh, in the Star Wars archives right here in Return of the Jedi. Uh, George Lucas says almost verbatim that exact notion right uh regarding luke specifically and so it's it's important to, to be able to have and, and that's where some people struggle a little bit with ray in the sense of how much training did she have then again how long was she on octo you can have the same kind of debate as how long was luke on dagobah right. that those are two unanswered questions in star wars that we will never know because in a force nexus time works differently well and there's an obvious like messianic uh parable at play in the case of anakin skywalker in particular whereas like the original trilogy the story of luke skywalker is a little bit homerian right he's like he's a little bit more the hero's journey and anakin Mm. was like born if not the chosen one then something like that he was born to you know to, to a pauper mom who's just this regular woman who's pure of heart but he was born into tremendous modesty and then forced into a position where he'd have to rise above those ranks and so she's kind of the virgin mary and he's 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 but a humble tatooinian slave um and so that's obviously some of the framework do we have too many chosen ones in star wars there aren't there's one chosen one in in my in my view okay that, that that chosen one is anakin and that is the the, the way that the prophecies should be determined. However, Ray brings balance to the force as well. And Luke is in part someone who brings balance to the force. And you could say Ben Solo does as well. You could say Leia does it. And so it really is the Skywalkers who do it. But yes, Skywalker again, is the chosen one. I mean, that's kind of evidenced by the Graflex lightsaber calling out to Ray and, de- and deciding that she's the next in the family lineage. Yeah, and that goes once again to kind of the conversation you and I had yesterday about how kyber crystals, I think, need to be explored a little bit further, particularly in the Skywalker saga, because of the relationship that 
those sabers have and the importance that that has on her defeating Palpatine with those uh, and the way it called out to her in episode seven, that has a lot of kind of unanswered questions, but can be pieced together to make a lot of sense and ultimately provide a, another interesting layer of lore on the lightsaber to maybe the greatest extent it's ever been altered from a lore perspective. So that could be really interesting. I also think going back, something that ultimately uh, negates any theories that Palpatine had a hand in the creation of Anakin as a person is uh, we'll watch your career with great interest. I think that that line is not insincere. That's not him like winking at himself. He genuinely intends to watch Anakin's career with great interest, knowing here for the first time that maybe he's got uh, an opportunity in Anakin. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. However, I th in in all of the situations, whether Palpatine would be the creator of Anakin or not the creator of Anakin, uh, do I believe or really it does it doesn't make sense really for him to have known that it worked, even if his experiments had created Anakin. You're right. It makes no sense for him to have known Anakin existed because he doesn't meet Anakin until he's nine. And Palpatine is not going to wait until Anakin's nine. He's going to snatch him up at a young age and not wait for the Jedi to train him and or specifically make sure that it's someone who's in uh, the republics of the Jedi 100% train him. <laughs> right. Well, that's true, except I think that there's also some Inquisition uh, valid around one's ability to hide upon Tatooine. And we're going to come back to that a little later, because right now I want to focus mm. on uh, Palpatine, as we mentioned. And we also briefly mentioned Rey, as long as we're going to connect the two of them. Uh, next question for you. How did Palpatine have a son? Uh, where was this family for all the rest of the Skywalker saga? Who is Rey's grandmother? we're lacking a tremendous amount of family tree there. Uh, there is no grandmother. Okay. Um, Palpatine's son is his clone. Uh, he ah. is an unsuccessful clone that does not have the force. And so Palpatine discarded him. He got rid of him and somehow he escaped and was able to live and uh, continued on his merry life until of course he had a child who happened to have the same level of um, force sensitivity or midi-chlorian count as Palpatine, most likely. So biologically, Ray is Palpatine's daughter. Yes. Man, that is really whiffed, isn't it? Yes, it is not remotely clear. They don't make any of that understandable. The guy looks like a maybe like a young Ian McDermott, but not in The Rise of Skywalker. They like they clearly looked at the guy and was like, okay, this could kind of work, but let's rough him up and make him look nothing like Ian McDermott. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a, a, a whiff in that regard. Uh, there are explanations in the book, but I think this is one of the best and richest areas uh, to explore in Star Wars is what Palpatine's younger life was and his and i think this was in our top six and six what like things we'd like to see on disney plus and i i said uh, a show just like this where it would be kind of flashing between palpatine's uh younger life and uh the time where he's recovering on exical because it's it, there are answers to those questions but they're just in visual dictionaries comics and novelizations and that's not enough what do you those mean are too big? What do you questions. mean when you say recovering on Exegol? Is that the time between Return of the Jedi and Rise of Skywalker? 
Yeah. And I think that like the, it's important to be able to kind of see like what kind of experiments were done, maybe what work Oshia Bastoon was doing, who like what like was Snoke directly working on Exicle for a while and helping run some of those, like how long did Snoke take to be created? Uh, it, by the sounds of things, it took at least like, I mean, we see Snoke's in tanks in the Mandalorian and they seem kind of ready and that's six years after. And we know that like a nine year old Ben Solo knows Snoke based on comics. So that means Snoke's pretty close to ready. So Snoke becomes one in the galaxy, probably uh, seven to nine, seven or eight years after Return of the Jedi. Uh, and so there's like, how, how does, how does that come about? And yeah. how does Palpatine have that set up? What was the, the burner ID that he made for Snoke prior to his death, knowing that he was going to have somebody step in to his political um, position to be able to rise to the top of the first order. So there's some juicy stuff there. You asked one of my questions for me then. How did Snoke become installed as the the supreme leader of the galaxy? How, how was that contrived by Palpatine if he wasn't even here? Raw power and uh, allegiant generals. So that's something that I think uh, it's not made particularly clear with the Allegiant Generals, but like Allegiant General Pride showing that he was still reporting to the Emperor makes it appear to me that he has been reporting to the Emperor for a very long time hmm. and that he has never really like, as I served you in the old wars, I served you now. So maybe there was a bit like there, he maybe wasn't directly working with the Emperor, but there was enough of them that still knew who they were serving and if Palpatine says this is the guy who's in charge, then this is the guy who's in charge. And look how scary he is. <laughs> and he was ridiculously powerful. And if someone was able to come in and show more ruthless uh, kind of rage than Vader and Palpatine ever showed on, like, on the front lines, then that could be kind of intense. <laughs> it would have been so nice if Snoke could be explained as a character from the original trilogy. Like if there was some kind of Imperial officer who was always kind of mysterious and then he was suddenly the Supreme Leader in the sequel trilogy. And then we went back and twisted it out that actually he had always just been a puppet of Palpatine's. To, you know, if in a, in the event that he were to be killed, there's some body for him to cling to, just like there as a decoy. Like it's unfortunate that this guy didn't seem to be a thing until after Palpatine had been killed the first time. I definitely agree with you, but at the same time, there's no one who it would have worked to be. Nope. You can go through all the names in Star Wars and there's just, there's nobody where it makes sense. Uh, if it's just some random Imperial in the background, then it's going to be like, that's the weirdest stretch ever. Or like the people who are like, Snoke is Tarkin. And it's like, well, how is he force sensitive now? And yeah. Or Snoke is Mace Windu. Mace Windu, yeah. But I, at so the, in the end, I, I agree it would have like, Darth Plagueis made the most sense. It would have made also the most sense with um, being able to have like things pa like passing into your body, going back and forth. Um, when you kill someone, uh, he had the corpse lying around from when he killed him. It just made too much sense to be Darth Plagueis. And I think that was the intention. So I think that's the reason why they ran out of options because they decided let's not do that. Or Ryan Johnson decided let's not do that. Is Palpatine dead for good this time? We don't know. I, 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 would, I would think so. But at the same time, 
there's a lot of uh of shit going on in that uh area in that throne on Exegol. uh there's a bunch of just dark side vision magic going on uh there's those uh, cultists that are in the audience that just appear and disappear and palpatine disappears it's it was it felt uh, the most recent time i watched the rise of skywalker it felt the most like the the cave of evil on dagobah uh than it ever has before and so i don't know if um we can believe our eyes not maybe we shouldn't trust them and really why should we like it, it doesn't it's not even really presented to us in this literal kind of way like it kind of it seems to me almost like we're silly to think it's anything but smoke and mirrors this coliseum of evil chanting along like it's just this nether realm where ray is fighting her final battle yeah but then you could also say well how do you like if you snuff out the devil in hell, then you know that you beat the devil. Yeah. And so there's that angle as well. And so that is one way to view it as he could be gone forever. Uh, but now that I think more and more about it, I think I'm going to listen to Obi-Wan's advice and uh, not trust in my eyes. Who are the Knights of Ren and how did Kylo come to lead them? And what does Ren mean? Uh, the Knights of Ren are Vikral, uh, Kuruk, Cardo, um, Ushar, Aplek, and Trudgeon. Remarkable. And those are the six uh, Knights of Ren. Uh, they are extremely unimportant. Uh, they're thugs. Uh, <laughs> the Knights of Ren uh, reported to Ren. Ren was their leader. Uh, Ren was uh, also a thug. And uh, these were essentially uh, dark side acolytes who went around pillaging and stealing and doing things for Snoke and ultimately kind of creating issues for Luke Skywalker. So that was their goal. They were just out being gallivanting thugs that have little significance. And Ren was really lame. So he was like, had long blonde hair. He was, ripped like Thor, uh, and he wore like a shirt that you could see through. Uh, Ooh, Harlequin he, romance. <laughs> it looks a little ridiculous. Uh, but they notice some dark energy in Ben Solo when they fight against him and Luke, and when Ben uh, attacks or gets in a fight with the other Jedi at Luke's temple after he thinks he killed Luke and uh, is essentially distraught uh, and then kills a couple of them. Um, he then goes to the Knights of Ren because he has nowhere else to turn. And Snoke had told them that they would be an ally for him. And so he teams up with the Knights of Ren and I don't know exactly when or how, but he kills Ren and then he becomes the new master of the Knights of Ren. To what extent did Leia know that her son was corrupt and, and how early on? Like, obviously it's, it's part of the trajectory of both uh, ben Solo and Luke, that that came to a boiling point. Um, but Leia is supposedly this very powerful Jedi master in the meantime, and we know so little about her career as a as a Jedi, as a like a force using lightsaber wielding Jedi. Um, she's she's not though. That's the interesting thing. She's Rey's master, 
but she was not a Jedi. At okay. the end of her training, she just chose not to be one. Okay. So she was only trained. She, Ray, Ray was trained by uh, the discipline she could learn from Leia, the the books, the the sacred Jedi texts, and the little time that she spent with Luke, and then of course beyond this point by uh, saying "Be with me, be with me," and then I, I'm hoping getting some more learning. Uh, pointers after that than some of the things she got on Exegol. Um But uh, sorry, what was your question? I asked about about Leia's instinct towards her son's corruption. Leia, yeah, uh, I she knows it before she sends him off to Luke. That's okay. why she senses she senses it rising within him, thinking Luke can control it. But I think from a pretty early age, uh, there's. I forget. I think it's in a comic somewhere that show that shows that he was corrupted from like the womb. And right. I personally believe, I think that he was corrupted. Like the, the night Palpatine dies. Yeah. Okay. I, that that's very interesting. Like he's basically, uh, I well, think she got, I think he was conceived that night. I oh, think. And then that's, I mean, that's, that's incredible. And that's Palpatine having a mulligan at his whole Anakin plot. Which was also 100%. kind of like under, I mean, it's it, maybe maybe that's almost um, unspoken, like that's just to be deduced, but like that could have been better fleshed out in Rise of Skywalker. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and that's the problem. The Rise of Skywalker has some has some really good ideas, yeah. they're just not fleshed out. And I get that doesn't everything doesn't need to be spelled out for you, but. I, th- I think we can we can safely say by the world's reaction that not enough of it was and a, a lot of other things were skipped over that shouldn't have been. Okay, here's, a, I realize we're talking like so much about Rise of Skywalker and I was afraid that that would happen and in particular the, the sequel trilogy. Here's how I'm going to uh, transition us out of that. So right. I, I, mentioned, I mentioned Leia and her instinct towards other people's force powers, good or bad. So famously, she has that weird moment at the end of Force Awakens where she hugs Rey, even though the two of them have never met. Conceivably, that's just because she has a good feeling about her. Um, On the other hand, uh, we don't really know why Darth Vader, who appears to have some kind of tempestuous relationship with the Princess Leia in the first Star Wars, seems to have no idea at all that that's his daughter. I, you, it's a great point. There is no real strong answer for this, uh, other than that Leia doesn't show a tendency to have the Force as strongly as Luke. Uh, I, I think that's the only logical answer, as much as Luke and Leia are, to a degree, two sides of the same coin, their strengths lie in different areas, and I think Lou, Luke is naturally more in tune with the Force. But don't you think, think that that even more so than the Force, uh, Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker should be sensing Padme in Leia? Like he should be kind of seeing her her diplomatic skill set, her her decency, her her zeal. <laughs> he should be feeling this old like sense of love. Whereas he's just as mean to her as he is to everybody else, and I realized that that George Lucas hadn't worked that and, out yet. But like, it would be nice if we could explain that away. And you're starting to sound like a separatist, right? He, he Anakin wasn't a big fan of Padme's politics all the time. True. And at one extreme, 
she becomes kind of the mother of the rebel alliance. And so it goes to show that, yeah, uh, like an, an evolution of your galaxy and an evolution of you, in the end, he ends up hating somebody who's just like the woman that he loved. Uh, and he's so far removed from the person that he was before that he can't even see that. So I don't so much see that as being an issue in the sense of seeing familiarity from Padme. And maybe he's clouded by hate because what I hinted at before is that oh, yeah. he doesn't ap appear to know where Luke is for all this time. Granted, he I think he thinks his children are dead, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but regardless, Obi-Wan has chosen to hide Luke in plain sight with Anakin's stepfamily on Anakin's home planet with Anakin's name, and that is an odd choice. Yes, it is. That is one of the big ones that can't really be explained away, especially the name. Yeah, <laughs> that's the big. That's the big cookie. That one's the really hard one. But uh, you and I have kind of been uh, theorizing a little bit lately about uh, Tatooine being a potential force nexus, and that potentially that has been what's been protecting Luke and Obi Wan the same way it protected Yoda on Dagobah. Um, from being able to kind of be recognized in the same kind of capacity. And so that could be a, a very logical reason. And also he hates Tatooine. So he's, he's not gone back other than to slaughter the village of sand people. Except this is a guy who leans into his hatred. Like he goes to places to torture himself. Well, that's he built his castle on Mustafar. And he has yeah. gone back to Tatooine to kill some Tuscans. But in that same way, he... He's not going back to kill his half-brother-in-law or... I, I don't think he still has hate towards the Larses. No. Um, and I don't think he's willing... He's He has tortured himself by going to Padme's grave, but he, I guess, has never tortured himself by going to Shmi's. So that is an interesting one. And, you know, the the force power of Tatooine as a body... I think we said this before, but that could explain why Shmi could immaculately, immaculately conceive of the most powerful Jedi of all time. Like, yeah, absolutely, that aligns right in with that as well. Because uh, I, I think it would make sense for it potentially to be right near Mos Espa, and hence the reason why. I mean, maybe because there's only a couple communities on all of Tatooine, and so you could see Obi Wan leave uh, like the Jundlin wastes and go to a different part of Tatooine or even beyond there, but. How long does it take to become a Jedi? It, it depends. I, I mean, you mentioned Dagobah a second ago, and obviously it's it's something that's kind of always eluded people. How long Luke was actually there uh, in episode five training, uh, you know, to like what, what physical training is necessary, what meditative training is necessary. Obviously Luke's training was expedited. That's a part of the story. Um, mm and cut short even, but like, it, is it a thing that takes your whole childhood or, or can it be done on a long weekend or somewhere in between? I think the best answer is there is no answer. And I think the best answer or best example of that, I should say, is Yoda and the fact that he is the, the trainer. And for 800 years, I've trained Jedi and my own counsel on uh, who is ready, I will keep, or whatever he says. Uh, but the specific thing, it, it's true. When they have such a regimented system when Anakin's a Padawan, and it slows him down. 
Anakin is more gifted than anybody. His intuition with the Force, his capabilities, he should have been made a Jedi Master by the time he was 22 when he was losing his mind and pissed off at the end of the Clone Wars. And he was like, that's outrageous, it's unfair. Uh, he should have been a Jedi Master by that point because they had such strict rules and ridiculous na- Like Luke Skywalker is, um, he's uh, like, I think 24 in Return of the Jedi. And so he's not quite a, a, a Jedi Master or even a Jedi at that point. He's a, not even really a Jedi Knight. But look how far where he is at that point from what and Anakin is a few years younger and you see such a grand discrepancy. And I think it, and look at Ray, it didn't take her that long to learn either. You have such varying natures on your connection to the force and the Jedi during the prequel era don't care. It's just a matter of, no, this is how the school system works. And this is, and you need to follow your, like your levels through primary through 12 and you need to do your four years and there's no exceptions. And Yoda kind of learns a little bit later on mostly only when Luke comes back uh, and that he realized, wow, he came back and, and I can kind of have faith in students again. Uh, he came back and he's, he, he survived Vader and he wants, he's going to face him again, but it, it's, it's a, an interesting kind of learning curve for Yoda to realize how long it takes to train a Jedi, because it's a lot different than what he thinks, even an empire. Well, and interestingly, like, in in a way, Yoda dies of peace, right? Like finally, and and this is sort of true of like a a, a lot of uh, star. Obi Wan kind of dies of peace. Certainly, Leia, her when her soul is put to rest, then she fades away. Ben Solo dies of of peace. This is a new uh, term term I'm coining right now, but like that's mm. kind of what happens to Yoda. Luke. And you say uh, Luke does too. And so Yoda, who is the the Grand Jedi Master, committed his life to a lot of things chief among them, imparting the beauty and the wisdom of the Force to other people. He was the Mm. great teacher of the Force for everybody. And so when he learned this final lesson himself and had Mm. his final teaching, he could be laid to rest. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a really nice and clean way of saying that because it's true. All right. uh, Well, screw clean. What's Yoda? What's Grogu? Where'd they come from? Where are the rest of them? Oh, that is... Messy, so messy. Uh, we have no idea. Yaddle, got to throw in Yaddle there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're green. We have no idea. Um, and why are they so noticeably higher than average in terms of their force concentration? Like maybe there are, you know, uh, Baby Yoda slash, slash Yoda creatures that are completely force unsensitive plebs. But it seems unlikely at this point that we're going towards that. I kind of feel like they're all force sensitive. Yeah. It just is the way I kind of assumed as soon as I saw the little guy it, the, in in the pilot. It just makes too much sense, I guess. I mean, I know that's weird because we only have a sample size of three, but because the mysteriousness around them and um, what they're called and where they come from, are they the wills? Are they uh, just a, a species? Like, Yodonians or something. Uh, I I listen to a podcast and they refer to them as Yothons, and I think that's a great name. <laughs> I like it too. Yeah. Uh, and it's just yeah, like, where are they from? Uh, is the planet 
Minch or uh, some other, uh, what was it, Buffy? Uh, those were the first two names that they were going to call Yoda before they settled on Yoda. Buffy, uh, okay. Buffy or Minch, yeah. <laughs> Ugh, and they they would have failed. Yoda was definitely the right call. They nailed it, thank God. And somehow they really were able to recapture like the essence of the Yoda name with Grogu. There's just something rhythmically that works for me. And that was a tough one. It really one does. Because you and I talked a lot about like, it, it was, the term Baby Yoda was getting to be too colloquially friendly. Ever, and people are still saying it a little bit, but like that they were able to come up with a name that felt right after the name Baby Yoda had so set in over a year and a half is kind of mm-hmm. a big fuf. Absolutely. And I didn't think Little Grogues was going to was going to catch on so well, but it's just it's a it's a great name. And uh, I was that was a big question mark we had a year ago, but don't have now. Right. And so there's going to be more and more of those that keep getting knocked down too. But uh, there's not a whole lot uh, that anyone in the world other than George Lucas uh, and maybe Dave Filoni and maybe John Favreau can answer on that one. Okay. I'm just going to, uh, I'm, I'm tired of trying to string these together in some kind of continuity. So I'm just going to start rattling them off. Many of these remaining are, are kind of just like little listicle centric presumed plot holes that surely can be explained away. Uh, how did Maz Kanata come to get possession of Luke's Graflex lightsaber? Uh, it's an annoying story. Uh, it's not an interesting story. Okay. It's, uh, it fell down the garbage chute and Ugnot found it, made its way through the black market. Maz Kanata bought it because she knew the significance. That's a bummer. Yep. Yep. I don't like uh, that very much. That is why you don't need to tell every story in Star Wars immediately through a comic. Yeah. Because sometimes... It's not that good a story. <laughs> and wait on it. You might have come up with a more poetic reasoning down the road if we decided later on to properly expound upon that character. Although it seems to me yeah. we're probably not going to do that now. Maz Kanata. She's probably done. Yeah, she probably is. And I bow at the altar of them canceling that uh, Mandalorian book and the visual dictionary. As much as I adore the books and the visual dictionaries, uh, they would have been shooting themselves in the foot for potential future storytelling. And so they also made sure that the author who lost the gig got another Star Wars book. Oh, that's so nice. it was like a win Good. for everybody. Maz could turn up in Mandalorian. That would be pretty cool. That would be awesome. Yeah. It, was, it has tons of, like, that's the thing. Maz has no reason to not come up again. I just, unless somebody, it really, the character resonated with them or they wanted to make sure it was full circle. But then again, like, Lapid is young. Yep. They can, in 60 years, and they're making episodes 13, 14, 15, and she can still be in them because Maz is also ancient as well, so it doesn't matter. Uh, whatever happened to Jar Jar? And I mean that both in the trilogy in which he appears and afterward, canonically, what happens to the character? He dies as a jester. What does that uh, mean? As a, as a sad, lonely clown. Really? Yep. Well, how how did how did that fall from grace, and and where is that written? Uh, it's in the aftermath trilogy. Uh, I forget where, uh, whether it's on Naboo or somewhere else. Um, it's it, it, it's uh, it's kind of a weird little story. It just it's like because he's it, it's a little bit sad. It's a little bit pathetic, but it's also a little bit uh, sweet and appropriate that his. He's just entertaining children at the end of his life. But at the same time, it's also, it's not really told in a way that it's like, uh, yeah, Jar Jar won in the end. It's kind of told in a way of like, yeah, Jar Jar lost in the end. Right. <laughs> and so it was done at a time when, 
Disney had recently purchased Star Wars, and it, it is it's appropriate. Jar Jar is Jar Jar ruined the galaxy. Uh, Jar Jar was gullible, and Jar Jar was selfish, and Jar Jar was stupid. Jar Jar it, uh, was stupid. He sure was. Yeah, it, it cost the galaxy everything when he voted the emergency powers to Palpatine. So. I don't want to turn anybody off and I certainly don't want unsubscribers, but I almost wonder if we could do like a deep dive episode about Jar Jar or about Gungans, because like there is something very weird there. It's not like we'd be saying anything new if we talked about the infamous Jar Jar theory registered trademark, but that's, that is a part of like, just uh, in terms of uh, movie making, Jar Jar Binks is such an interesting, what could have been. Oh, absolutely, because you have this character who's clearly trying to fill the role of Yoda in this, like, but even giving a more prominent or like maybe maybe of a kind of a combination of Yoda and Chewbacca. Yeah, and so you get like like this blend, and they wanted to be able to continue it on. It just doesn't work because the charm is 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 just not there. And on my best is a talented guy, but. It was because I think everything was probably so laid out ahead of them and it was less go with it and more here, do this. And then it was just that faster and more intense over and over. Do Han and Chewie previous to the events of episode four actually have a good friendship or are they just colleagues who work in the same ship? And I I think, for example, about the fact that Chewbacca was a warrior of the Clone Wars. He knew Yoda personally. Uh, he knows the, he knows about the existence of the Jedi Council. He's he's far less ignorant, frankly, than Han, who comes in guns ablazing against the existence of the Jedi, this ancient religion, corny rituals. And so there is some there's something unspoken between the two of them. There appears to be a fundamental difference of ideology between those two supposed best friends. Yeah, just don't talk about religion and politics. Yeah. That's to be honest. That's the way I see it. Chewie doesn't say much, and it's the kind of thing that you can see. It's an uncomfortable conversation when they're talking about what is essentially religion and kind of politics and the way that the Jedi were involved in the galaxy. Although, oh, yeah. in the, the conversation that Han is, it's not overly political. But but people tell war I, stories. Is the difference there? People do famously yeah. tell war stories. That's a, that's a very good point. But in that same vein. Chewbacca would not have seen many Jedi and Chewbacca's a, a rare example. And I think he's because he's so modest. It's that antithesis where he can just, it's just water off the ducks, water off a Wookiee's back when Han is boasting and being Han. But Chewbacca doesn't say a whole lot. I, I, I honestly, I, I think it kind of works. Whereas uh, Chewie will give him shit and I'm sure he does give him shit. And Whereas like Han will say like, oh yeah, that doesn't exist. And Chewie said, oh yeah, sure. I'm sure it, like, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Chewie is to a degree messing with him a little bit and allowing him to just kind of goad on and be a bit of a dumbass. It's also kind of a, a neat little misdirect on what Han appears to think is Chewie's main trait, which is his barbarism. And his like lack of being able to control himself or withhold his temper or his feelings, when in fact, like Chewie might in this instance be very tactfully and politely choosing not to have that argument, which it's like it's a f- funny like misinterpretation of his friend altogether. 
Yeah, which is kind of funny, seeing as this is the same guy who uh, you always have to let win when you're yeah. playing to Jared. But that's okay. I think it's uh, it, it's it's fitting because I mean he also gives Han shit like in the Force Awakens um, when uh, Han's like, "Yes, I do every time." Right. <laughs> so. A big one uh, a lot of people wonder is why does old Ben Kenobi appear not to recognize the droids? Yeah. Um, crap. There is a there is an answer to this one in a certain point of view. Okay. Um, I don't remember what it is. It's there, he, he, he doesn't really. He doesn't really know 3PO that well. He doesn't know 3PO no, that well. No. He really doesn't. R2, he's, though, he's, had... <laughs> he's spent a lot of time with R2. Yes, he has spent a lot of time with R2, but there are also a lot of R2 units. Yep. There are a lot. And also, I watched um, Phantom Menace the other day, and there's another R2-D2 on that ship. Oh, okay. R2-T2 is not the first R2-D2 to make it to this, the top of the Nubian. But when he gets up there, the, the other R2-D2's gone, so he got blasted off immediately. Right. So it could also be that Obi-Wan's thinking, yeah, I had my R4s, but like... I didn't really have a, have a droid. I didn't really care. It was not like an attachment thing. He never really bonded with droids, famously. No. Uh, whereas Anakin did. Yeah. And that's, I think, kind of the, the differentiator there. But there is a reason, and it is likely Obi-Wan. I think he does recognize R2 in a certain point of view and then just chooses to be uh, ignorant to allow for the story to play out that way. Right. Because yeah, was he, what's he supposed to say? Oh, that's the droid. Uh, that's the droid of your father. That was your dad's droid. Yeah. That's yeah. Oh, really? Oh, you guys fought together in the Clone Wars. And then R two is like, boo, 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 boo. oh, what's that? R two? Wait a minute. You, you left him to die on the side of a cliff. <laughs> Let's just n- not have this conversation right now. R two. What's the story with Ray's yellow lightsaber? Where did she get this kyber crystal? Has she been building that for a long time? Uh, so there's. There's a there's a few interesting tidbits about this. So we almost got what I've always I've always wanted the yellow lightsaber in Star Wars, but as well I've also wanted uh, the first lightsaber shown in Star Wars to get some legitimization, and that would be the teal lightsaber. And the fact that the first time Luke ignites it, it's teal, uh, and it's no longer on the like the 4K versions. Right, they corrected it to blue, but it was when I was a kid. And uh, Ray was going to have a teal lightsaber in that final shot. Ugh. And you can see when she spins it, it ignites a green dot and then a blue dot and then a lightsaber ignites. And my guess is the reason they didn't want to do that is because everyone would have thought what I would have thought. Oh my God, she ripped the kyber crystals out of Luke's green lightsaber and out of his blue one and is just throwing away the shell. So that she could have one lightsaber? That doesn't make any sense. But at that same time, they still kept the the green and then the blue dot. So when she switches her lightsaber on, you can see an ignition kind of light of green, blue, and then it ignites all this gold color. So I don't really know anything about the kyber crystal. There are some kind of crystal fragments that she finds and you can see them on, I think in the visual dictionary, they point out that they're on her workbench on Agent Kloss, which is the jungle planet in the Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. And so there are some kyber shards. And so it wouldn't surprise me if she just 
healed those shards to some degree and maybe they were old or whatnot or who knows what deal is because ahsoka did that before she healed um kyber crystal and it was created her white blades and so maybe ray they weren't necessarily having been bled but just broken and she was able to heal them and they turned yellow so i think the the canonical answer is that she just oh, scavenged uh some kaibo crystal pieces over the course of a year that would have sung to her and called over to her and, on her adventures um and i think there was a point in time where they thought of having her pull the kyber crystals out of both of luke's lightsabers to make a new one i don't think that's really i don't think that's bastardizing the legacy of the skywalker lightsabers any more than like burying burying them in some kind of weird symbolic gesture like i you said to me off microphone recently that you think that those lightsabers have to be uncovered again because they're too uh too central to to the crux of all skywalker uh, of all the saga um, well, but I think why bury the, them in the, the first place? Skywalker I think makes it's, it that way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, I just think the way that they, that you'll bring both sabers with you to Exegol and then she uses the two sabers and it has such a dramatic impact. Uh, and the way that she buries them and Ray found it by the Kyber crystal calling out to her. And so if she's burying them. It can still call up through the sand. It just makes too much sense to be the starting point. Mm -hmm. And if she rips out the Kyber crystals, then she's just burying some metal cylinders in the ground and so it right. doesn't really work and in that same vein i still watch that and they don't confirm it in the holiday special but my god that thing is a chonker and i still don't see why it can't be a double-bladed lightsaber sure i don't like you can retcon a visual dictionary i don't even know if it's in the visual dictionary um I don't think it is actually because they left out a lot in the visual dictionary for Rise of Skywalker for publishing leak issues. Right. Um, like there's almost, there's like no Palpatine in it for God's sake. Yeah. It's a real shame that like visual dictionaries were so much better in the age when they were really careless about leaks getting yeah. out. Like we've talked about how like all kinds of stuff was given away for merchandising and, and, and publishing for the Phantom Menace before the movie was even out. Uh, in fact, yeah. you could read the book before the movie was even out, which is insane. For the all of them. The yeah. novelization, which is crazy. They would never even dream of doing that now, except in hindsight, those books are better, <laughs> you know? So it's kind of yeah. cool. And now, yeah. alternatively... The books the, are written from the scripts. Yes, and the, right. They're excellent, yeah. Although alternatively now, I think the novel, the novelizations of the main movies are also pretty good, but they don't come out right away, which is also not a bad price to pay. No, but the problem, the Rise of Skywalker one, there was too much left for the novel. Yeah. And that's what you can't do. And there was just, there's too many pieces that I was just like, oh my God, ex just explain your movie. You needed 10 more minutes to make your movie make 50% more sense. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but in that same vein, an episode 10 can retroactively make episode nine make a lot more sense. And other things in the galaxy, whether you do Clone Wars type show, Mandalorian starting to do it now. And so a lot of these kind of unanswered questions will be answered through direct means, like direct follow-up uh, or some other ancillary version of Star Wars. Why don't we ever meet Padme's parents? We do in a deleted scene, and we see them uh, in her funeral in Revenge of the Sith. So the Nabaris get very little time. Uh, they're uh, why are they called covered. the Nabaris? What does that mean? That's her last name. Her her name is Padme Nabari. What does Amidala mean? This Amidala is a, this is is a huge thing for me. 
<laughs> yeah, Amidala is uh, her queen title. Whoa, okay. All right. Maybe I actually didn't prep prep anything about about Padme, but maybe I have tons of questions about her being a queen. I always kind of thought that they, it was just like sloppy that they made Leia a princess, and so they figured her mom had to be a queen, and then they just kind of like dialed back the Queen Amidala stuff. But like, yeah, that is why, a little weird. Why was that seventeen year old girl a politician in some kind of monarchical role? And fourteen, what, fourteen, and what what was her family situation? And I, I know that is written in novels. It's purely a matter of uh, they they elect young. Uh, it's just something that is done, and uh, I, I, it, it doesn't make a ton of sense. I, I, they don't explain that. Like, it's it's hard to find a ton of logic to pick a, someone that young. But uh, her her family was not of like ridiculously high standing. They were of high standing, but not to the most extreme there was some suggestion from palpatine that got um her in the position that she was in to uh, and I'm, I'm curious to know now if i'm mixing up anything from um the darth plagueis book and uh queen's peril because right. i read those two back to back and there's a little bit of crossover in timeline but uh, it's a little bit of Palpatine manipulation because he was the senator from Naboo and thinking the younger, the better in terms of someone he can manipulate into someone who's naive and wanting the, the best for everything. Uh, and she was uh, uh, very politically active, but it was, it, yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it's just a traditional thing from the, the Naboo culture. Is Mace Windu still alive and will we see him again? No, he's not still alive. He can't still be alive. That hurts Anakin's arc too much. Does it? Really? That's it's, I think you this is a new conclusion of yours because we've talked about this at other times and I think you've you've had different feelings. No, I mean, I think it, there's a lot of logic that could say that he could come back. I mean, everything points to like Jedi's can survive big falls and I I would like to see Sam Jackson come back. I think you can make that work. I think you can make it work to do Mace Windu coming back in a in a story whether it's of a like maybe before the Phantom Menace or, or what it is, I don't know. Um, but I don't know if I don't want him to, to have survived. It's too important for Anakin's what have I done to be actually what have I done. Right. I know that you think that there will be an episode 10, 11, 12 trilogy. Um, when do you think that'll be? When, when, when do you think they're going to do it? A long time it'll have to be a long time from now. And so when we think of, let's see, 2027, there is a scheduled Star Wars movie. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to guess. That's too guess, No, that's my point is I'm going to guess at the earliest based on what they're doing now, 2033. Mm. Wow. That'll be the earliest. Okay. That'd be the absolute earliest. I would say there's a damn good chance that we'll have uh, an episode 10 by 2040 though. Okay. Well, and I guess there is about a 12 or 14 year gap between the trilogies thus far. Like they could wait the same amount of time again. There's 10 years between episode three and episode seven. Okay. Uh, which is less than I always thought it was, but when you, it's just like, when you think about it, do you think it's more than 10? But... Yeah. I would have thought it was more. Uh, and there's 16 years between episode six and episode one. So you're talking about a 12 year gap at minimum, and it would, that would fall right within the pocket. 
Yeah. So yeah, I'm thinking, I think we're going to get pretty much at least that because when it comes to the ownership side of things, and also they have so much more that they're going to explore in that time period. And they have already mapped things out until 2027 and they will have exhausted certain character usage and they'll want certain people to have aged up a bit. And when you think about when John Boyega and Daisy Ridley will be available again and Oscar Isaac, and you'll want them to have be in a different position in their career that they'll want to do this. And so I think it'll happen. It's just a matter of, of um, I'm hoping it's a matter of uh, when, not if. I wonder what they'll call that trilogy. I mean, just like as fans, like casually, we call them the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, and then sequel trilogy seems to kind of have picked up a lot of traction. That's just very commonplace now. And those we're out of words now. So I wonder what we would call the fourth trilogy of Star Wars movies in the Skywalker saga. doesn't matter that much, but I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, I would be wondering, I would be curious to know if Disney would try to reboot the the saga in a new way mm. almost by giving it an uh like a subtitle i know that they have the subtitles as well of episode 10 so i would worry that they would maybe like are you going to give us like 38 subtitles here uh what do you mean by that what does that mean i just mean in terms of next time we get a crawl it's going to be for a big epic most likely oh yeah like is it going to be star wars the old republic mm something okay and then is it also going to be episode one after that um i uh, may maybe and it's not the worst thing except for that episodes one through nine are so um inexorably attached to singular stories that it would get very confusing if there were multiple episode threes except i yeah. think that's also like how numbers work and so like maybe we have to get over that yeah, well, I mean, that's the reason why we call Mandalorian episodes chapters, because it's yeah. really the only thing we have in our bag. Right. Yeah, okay. Well, look, that's all I got. Well, then that's I think that's a pretty good uh, kind of list to cover off for today, at least. Okay. Um, in the news, there uh, isn't a ton in the news. There is one certainly big thing, and that would be the Bad Batch coming out, and it uh, had another trailer, which was uh, really excellent. That one seemed to really get you quite intrigued, which is nice to see. I think it just looked um, a lot darker than I think I expected. You and I have have mused a little bit over what, like what the age demographic will be for the show, and it seems to fall in line with the with what they've done with Clone Wars and, and Rebels. And obviously, you are a huge fan of those shows, and this is an opportunity for me to start from scratch with a new show, and so I'm psyched about that. Yeah, I think that's going to be really cool, and I, I'm hoping that they take the tone from season seven Clone Wars, and it really seems like they are uh, the Bad Batch characters. Some of them need to be toned down a little bit but in that same vein uh we get rex in that uh, trailer which is really encouraging so we'll get to see him fennec shand who seems like she's gonna have a pretty significant role and it looks like tarkin's it it really seems it's been a lot of kind of back and forth in these previews and it seems very clear that they're not going to be in the empire for long and that tarkin could be the big baddie in the show which is the way i think it should be that seems so perfectly fitting uh, and I mean, a bunch more Tarkin. We need more Tarkin. We didn't get enough Tarkin. Uh, a little bit in Rogue One, a little bit in New Hope. He is one of the great villains in Star Wars. And so to have his, uh, I have him sending bounty hunters after the Bad Batch, having the Bad Batch work with bounty hunters, having them converting old clones, 
having the clones switching to becoming stormtroopers can cover a lot of really interesting topics in Star Wars that, I mean, haven't been touched on that much. We've seen a lot of stuff right before A New Hope, and we've seen kind of the Empire as a whole, but this specific transition period, there's there isn't a whole lot there. So it'll be really exciting to see. Animation's a great arena for Tarkin to live on too, because he kind of looks like a bit of a cartoon character anyway. And, and the rendering of him in Rogue One is imperfect, although it was it was exciting at the time. Um, but like this is this is a great. It's pretty good. Oh sure, it's great. Uh, this is this is a really cool place to see a little more of him. And I know the Tarkin novel is is quite. Uh, highly thought of right yeah it, it is good yeah it tells you a lot about him he's he's a hunter he's a, a very intense dude uh he's somebody that uh <laughs> yeah he, he he's yes he's hoity-toity and and posh but he also can break your neck yep. and uh break a saber tooth tiger's neck too <laughs> Yeah, see, I think that's completely unrepresented so far on screen, and we might as well get yeah. an opportunity to see that. That would be really cool if they if that would be cool if you got to see him be an unbelievable badass in an episode or two of the Bad Batch, whereas like they capture him, he's stranded somewhere, and then they get to see that, oh shit, yeah, we weren't a match for this guy. <laughs> Anything else in the news? No, really nothing else in the news because we got such an incredible big jump with the Obi-Wan yeah. uh, news last week uh, and uh, the Bad Batch came out right after. Oh, there's one other thing. Uh, they're going to get uh, another uh, audiobook original as well, which is always exciting. I like those. It's called The Tempest Runner. And cool. so that's kind Good of name. interesting. Not quite sure what that'll be about, but uh, always excited to see. And uh, I think it's the higher, Repu- yeah, it is the higher Republic era. So that'll be exciting. So last week, I actually forgot to prepare any birthdays, and I I can't tell you how frustrated I was to realize that after we did a full hour, a whole podcast, talking strictly about Obi-Wan Kenobi, that the very next day, Wednesday, March 31st, was Ewan McGregor's birthday, his 50th birthday in the less. Two days after that, Friday, April 2nd, was Alec Guinness's birthday. So we did this whole Kenobi hour, and I was like, I don't know whose birthday it is. Who cares? And in, <laughs> in days, both Obi-Wan Kenobi's had birthdays. <laughs> of course. That's the way it works. Oh, I was so annoyed at myself. It's funny, too. Their birthdays are only two days apart. Something quite that is funny. Kismet about that. Also, I want to say a happy birthday uh, in addition to both Obi-Wans on Saturday, April 3rd to Ben Mendelsohn. Maybe we'll see him in the Bad Batch. Yeah, that could make a lot of sense. Or I'd be hear totally him. game for that. I mean, any sort of Death Star planning projects, it would make sense. And happy birthday on Tuesday, April 6th to Billy D. Williams. So it's a big birthday week for Star Wars. Yeah, it certainly is. If you have any thoughts about this week's podcast, if you have any questions that you feel are um, unanswered in Star Wars, we'd love to hear those. Uh, at Recorder66 on Twitter, Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Um, Ross, yeah, we didn't Ross even will... hit them all, and like that's no. the thing. So like this is a great one because this is one I'm sure we'll circle back to and do another edition on because – and as new shows go, we'll only get more, so – yeah, I'll, I'll only get more confused as we watch more stuff. <laughs> we all will. Uh, as always, uh, we'd love it if you could rate and review on your preferred podcast app. If you're joining us on YouTube, do the whole like and subscribe thing that everybody's always asking you to do. And until we are together again, may the force be with you.